to understand the book of Habakkuk, we, we, we need to do a little work this morning, okay? We need to, we need to do a quick history lesson, okay? I'm going to try to make this as painless as possible. We know the garden. We know Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was good. In fact, it was very good. There were no issues. Adam and Eve were getting to walk with God, talk with God. It was incredible. No problem in their relationship. And then something happens. Someone comes to tempt them. Who is it? Satan, Satan, the serpent, comes to tempt Eve. She falls to, and ultimately what he says, of course we know that there's a fruit, not necessarily an apple. There's a fruit that she sees, and he says, look, look, what God's been saying to you isn't true. What he does there is he ultimately puts doubt right away about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. God doesn't want you to know something. So what she does is instead, instead of focusing on God, she takes her eyes off of God and she looks to the fruit. And that's where she falls. Now here's the thing. Scripture also shows us that the husband, not being the man that he should be in the relationship, not being the head as he should be, is sitting by passively while she does that. How do we know? Because when she takes the fruit, she gave some to her husband. It's a warning to men that from the beginning we need to see that we have to lead our families. It's our calling. And we will be judged by that of how we've led our families. So the fall happens. They're they're ousted out of the garden, separated from God. Then we start to see sin enters the world. They're sons. One kills the other. Now we're seeing death as a result, which God promised. We then see that the time of Noah comes and everything was so bad that the Lord wiped out just about everybody except Noah and his family. After that, we see that mankind gets together and they say, you know what, let's build this really tall tower and make our names great. And so God, we know the Tower of Babel, He scrambles everything, scrambles the languages and spreads people out. Then we see Abraham come on the scene. That God chooses and He brings them in and He says, He makes a covenant with Abraham and says, through your offspring, offspring, through one of someone from your family, I'm going to bless all the nations. Well, Abraham, you know the story how he they couldn't have children and God blesses them. Abraham, Isaac comes along, Jacob comes along. And Jacob, what's interesting about Jacob is he was a trickster. He was a trickster. He was a, he was a naughty boy, as some of you would say. He was bad. But what happens is, God chooses him. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you like I've promised before you. And he changes his name to Israel. Jacob becomes Israel. Which means, wrestles with God or something of that nature. So then he has these, we have the 12 tribes that come from him. And one of his sons goes into Egypt, Joseph. And what happens is, God takes the son, arranges all this, this evil that God meant for good, takes him to Egypt, and that's where the nation of Israel continues to grow and get strong. They're in Egypt because there was a famine coming. And as they get strong, the Pharaoh doesn't like that. He gets nervous. So they begin, they become slaves. They're having these issues. And God says, I'm going to deliver you. And he raises up Moses. He uses Moses and he delivers them to the land that He's promised them. So they go, but because of their disobedience, they don't get to go into the land yet. 
You know what they do? How, I mean, would this be a great time? 40 years, let's just keep doing this. And you would think that that would get through. But it doesn't because, again, all of us, all of us are hard-hearted people. We really are. So then we go to the book of Joshua, and Joshua gets to lead them into the promised land. And God says, take it. But as you take the promised land, obey my voice. Do not marry the women that are there. Why? Because they were ugly. No, that's not why. (laughs) Just seeing if you're watching. No. It's not necessarily because they were ugly. He says, don't go because they worship other gods false idols and what's going to happen is if you link up with them it's not a it's not one of these things evangelism by dating okay it's not going to marriage it's not going to be one of these things where oh well if we date them if we marry them then they're going to become christians they're going to become followers of yahweh guess what no that's not what's going to happen god tells you it's not what's going to happen they're going to drag you away so they go into the land but they don't get rid of everybody like they're supposed to and the nation begins to fall away so then we have the time of the judges. I hope there's some lights, light bulbs going off here. The time of the judges. And so they had these judges who would rise up. And there was a pattern we saw throughout the book of Judges that was they would be in sin, Israel be in sin, and then they would, oh, God help us, things are terrible. So he would raise up a judge, the judge would come and deliver them. Hey, all's right in the world. And then we'd start sinning some more and following, worshiping false idols and over and over again. And what it says in Scripture is that during this time, everybody did what was right, in their own eyes. Does that sound like any time at all? During that time, we get introduced, there's an interesting little book that we studied together, the book of Ruth. And it was during this time where all this evil was happening, we find the man among men, anyone know his name? Boaz, that's right, we found Boaz. Again, a, a type of Christ, someone that we can see again. Boaz was a great guy. And he marries the Moabite, he marries... Ruth. And through that, what's interesting is there, there's not a king in place yet, right? But what happens is God is working. We saw that God, God's hand was working. And what we saw was Boaz has a son, Obed, and then they have Jesse. And who's Jesse's son? Anyone know? David. David. King David. So we have the nation of Israel, and ultimately they said, we need a king. That's really our problem. See, if we had a king, we'd be okay. And God says, I'm supposed to be your king. And they said, well, yeah, 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 we know that, but we really need it. We need an earthly king. And so, the Lord raises up. Now, you have the story with Saul, which passes to his son briefly. But then we see that David comes on the scene there. And then David's there, and the nation of Israel is united, for the most part, under David. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, don't Mistake it for a second. doesn't mean he was sinless. In fact, there's quite a few things wrong there. But again, that just shows the power of God that even though we're sinners, even though he's a sinner, God can do great things through us as he did through David. David took the ark. They took the ark to Jerusalem, the holy city, conquered the city. Then David has a son, Many sons, but one in particular, Solomon. And the kingdom gets passed to Solomon. Not his oldest son. Gets passed to him. And he says, ask for wisdom was 
other than Jesus, maybe the wisest man ever. But you know what's interesting about the wisest man ever? You know one thing that God said, don't do? Don't go to Egypt and get wives. You know what Solomon did? He went to Egypt and got wives. You know why? Because he's a sinner as well. And he goes, and what do you know? The kingdom begins to, you start to see they're worshiping these false idols again, these false gods. So then, when his son comes up to take the throne, guess what? His son does not follow the Lord. you know why? Because Solomon did it, although he's worse. See, that's what happens. If we will train our children, the hope is that they're going to love Jesus even more than we did because they got a better start than many of us. But if we don't love Jesus, guess what? Then they're going to have a, it's going to be even worse for them. And they'll get further and further away. So what happens is actually his son takes over. He's cruel, and the kingdom splits. This is around, I think, 960 time frame before Christ, 960. The kingdom splits. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You're like, why are you saying all this? I'll get there in just a second. Track with me a little bit longer. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ten of the tribes were were the north. Samaria was their capital. Two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were in the south. Jerusalem was their capital. Divided. And then we see throughout Scripture these different kings that would come and go. And if you're reading throughout the Scriptures, you're going to see these kings. King of the north, king of the south. King of the north, king of the south. That's what's happening. The first kingdom, the northern kingdom, ends up falling because here's what they do. They don't worship God. They worship false idols. So he says, I'm going to raise up a nation. The Assyrians are going to come and they're going to wipe you out. But I'm going to leave a remnant. There's always hope. There's going to be some who are around. But I'm going to wipe you out. Because you are not worshiping me like you're supposed to. And in 722, the Assyrians come in and they take them out. Northern kingdom's gone. Kingdom of Israel is what it was called. Southern kingdom, Judah, still existed. So the prophets that we see, Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of these you're familiar with, Habakkuk, what they're doing, just to set the context, is they're prophesying during the reigns of those kings. And they're telling the people... Repent. Here's, here's the method of, of, the, of, of, the, of the prophets. Here's what it is. You've broken God's covenant. Repent. They say, no. He says, judgment. Over and over and over again. And he was many years patient, just like he has been patient with us for many, many years. So Habakkuk in particular, around 646 to 609 B.C. Habakkuk, which I love the meaning of his name, it means basically to hug. To embrace. So, I hope you feel like as we go through this book that you're feeling loved on by God and by Habakkuk. You're feeling hugged. He's a prophet of the southern kingdom, Judah, before it falls. It ends up falling in 586. There's some debate there, but 586 to, has anyone ever heard of the Babylonians? Babylonians, yes? The Babylonians are the ones who are going to come in. This is before that time, and he's prophesying to them, saying, you've broken God's law, repent. No, then destruction comes. But what's interesting is, as we're going to see, Habakkuk is a little bit of a different book. And we're going to see if it has any application for us today. All right? That's the intro. <laughs> you know it's going to be a long day. All right, let's get, into, let's get into the book of Habakkuk together. We're going to go through verse by verse, as we normally do, and, um, and see how that goes. Habakkuk. What's great about it is 
He's part of what's called the Book of the Twelve. You know those minor prophets that are really hard to remember? Jonah is in there. Hosea, Habakkuk. They're, they're separate books, but what's actually best is if you actually link them together as the, known as the Book of the Twelve. And you read them, and they're actually interdependent on one another. The theme that's going through is consistent throughout all of them. In the first book, Hosea, in, in chapter 14 of the Book of the Twelve, it says, Yahweh's ways, Yahweh, God, are right. His ways are right. And the righteous will walk in His ways. That's the theme throughout. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's look at it together. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Good place to stop. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oracle is a little bit different. Sometimes that's used, sometimes prophecy. But oracle itself, do you know it actually means burden? It actually means burden. So I think we can insert in there the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw. What he saw was a burden. Now, what is it that he saw? Let's take a look. Habakkuk's complaint is this next section, as commonly called. Listen to Habakkuk's complaint. Listen to what he says. You can follow along on the screen. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Question. Is that you right now? In any way, is this you right now? Or has this ever been you where you feel like you were crying out to God for help and it seems like He doesn't hear you? This goes in that category of our our prayers that we pray to God and you walk away and you go, I don't understand this. I'm praying for something that seems good. praying that this family would not break apart. Whichever family. That they would stay together. We're praying that this baby wouldn't die. We're praying that an adoption would go through, perhaps. Aren't those good things? God, we're, we're crying out to you for these things. It seems like you don't hear us. I think Habakkuk is so important for us because right off the bat, he's real. He's real. And he's saying, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not, you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence! And you will not save. What's interesting is in Psalm 54, David actually calls God our helper. But he says, he cries for help, but God doesn't hear. But David actually says, God's our helper. Here he also says, I, or, I cry, or I cry to you for violence, but you will not save. Exodus 15.2, Psalm 118.14, all before the time of Habakkuk, they call God our Savior, but he doesn't save think Habakkuk is forgetting who our God is. You ever done that? You ever forget who God is? You know what? If you do, that's normal. 
You know how many times God repeats himself over and over to the nation of Israel and in the New Testament of who he is? The, the God who brought you out of Egypt? The God who saved you over and over again? We have to remember these things. It's like we all have memory loss. But here's the thing. It's normal in Scripture. We see that they forget. It's normal for us to forget. Here's the key. You know what he's given us to remind us over and over and over? He's given us his word and he's given us each other. When you're crying out, how long, O Lord, will I cry for help but you do not hear? There's violence but you don't save. You need your brothers and sisters to come to you and say, remember Scripture. He's our Savior. He's our Helper. What you're believing there are lies. And we need our brothers and sisters to come and remind us the truth. We need to store Scripture up in our hearts so we may not sin against God and reminding ourselves that He is good because we will doubt the goodness of God. Right? When He's questioning right now, He's doubting something about God. Look what He says next. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me see sin? And why do you look, or why do you idly look at wrong? He's questioning God's goodness. Let's be honest for a second. You ever questioned God's goodness? I have. When things don't go as we think they should go, especially when they look like good things, adoption, children, someone being healed, somebody being saved, maybe a child of yours that's gone away from the faith and you're praying that they would come back, but they're not. It's not going the way that I see. Lord, I don't know what's going on. You know what we do? We start to doubt. We either doubt His goodness, or we start to doubt maybe, is He strong enough to save? Does He know what's going on? God, do you even know what's happening? Because if you did, you'd do something about this. Surely. We either doubt His goodness, maybe He doesn't know about it, we doubt whether or not He knows everything, whether He's strong enough. Habakkuk's there. He's there. That's where he's at. He's doubting. Can you imagine? God is always at work, but he's, his question is, why do you just sit back and let evil happen? It's incredible. Destruction, verse 3, continuing on. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. All I see is bad stuff. Quick question for you. You look around. Our nation... What do you see? Destruction on the rise? Death? Evil? God, do something! Why won't you do something? Real quick reminder though, Habakkuk was a prophet of which kingdom? Northern or southern? Israel or Judah? Judah. Judah. Prophet of Judah. Realize he's talking about God's people. He's talking about Judah. He's looking at Judah. So here's the application right now. We need to look at the church. This church and the church, universal church that's around the world, and need to be asking this question. Why are you allowing so much evil? It's not what's going on with those people who aren't Christians. That's going to come later in the book. The question right now is why and with God's people is there so much evil? Do something about it, God. 
Why are there pastors that are constantly manipulating? They're wolves that look like sheep and they go in and they tear churches apart. They tear families apart. Why won't you do something about it, God? That's what's being asked here. But churches are the people, right? Not the building, the people. So where we need to start with this is looking in and saying, God, search my heart. Why are you so patient with all my evil? My sin? I'm not following you. I know I'm not. When we're not following Him, guess what that brings? Sin, evil. Guess what that brings? The church becomes sin, evil. The nation then becomes sin, sinful, evil. We worship other things. Maybe not a little golden calf, but a television, a show. We have to start there with us and say, God, thank You for being so patient with me. You know why He's patient? You know why He hasn't done anything yet in that sense as far as His judgment? He has done everything with His judgment when He poured it on Christ. Christ dying on the cross. He lives that perfect life, that sin, sinless life. No sin. On the cross, dies. God pours out His wrath, His judgment on Him in our place for our sins. That's what He does. He says, I am doing something about this. I have done something about this. And He is a loving God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And He showed that that sacrifice was acceptable where on the third day Jesus rose. He says, I've done something about this. Now you need to do something about this too. You need to be following Me, He says. So the law is paralyzed. We're going to end in verse 4 here. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. This is what Habakkuk's saying. The law doesn't even do anything. And there's never justice. Not even in the church. Because we don't follow the ways of the Lord. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. We see in our nation, we see even in churches, that sometimes what's being heralded as this is what's just is evil in the, in the sight of God. God is calling us to be holy. Not so that we'll be holy and then He'll accept us and we'll get to go to heaven because of our holiness, but because in Christ you're already made holy. So live like it. Live like it. This is where we're going to stop for today. Habakkuk starts off with this burden and he cries out to the Lord. He complains to the Lord. What I want to encourage you with is he doesn't get rebuked for crying out to God. It's okay to complain to God. It's okay to go to Him and say, I don't get this. Will you help me? It's not okay to stay there. We have to move past it, but it's okay. Let's go ahead. We're going to pray together. I'm going to have Roy come on up. During this time of invitation, see what the Lord is laying on your heart. How do you need to respond? If you've never trusted, if you're not part of God's people, then today you can do that. You can pray 
in your seat. You can come up. We can pray together. You can become a Christian today if you've never done that. So that the wrath of God is not on you, but is on Christ. Your punishment has been taken. But at the same time, it's not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not the point. The point is for you to be reconnected to God. You can do that today. If you are a believer, let this, let this soak in a little bit. Ask God, why are you so patient with me? Why are you so good? What do I need to change? What do we need to change as this local church and as the church across the nation? And let's go out and tell people how great God is. Let's pray together. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Habakkuk, our God, we thank You for how great You are. We thank You that You are patient with us that you are slow to anger, you are abounding in loving kindness, and you've shown your love for us in Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that they would cry out to you. If it's for salvation, then we say amen. If it's they already have salvation, but they're saying, Lord, help me see myself how you see me. In Christ, yes, a new creation. But search my heart, Lord. I know there's some things. I pray, Lord, that they would do that. I pray that I would do that. We are thankful for our time. We pray that your word would work deep in us. In Jesus' name, amen.